Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. I think these liberal states have gotten it wrong. And why are they getting it wrong? Uh, I think it all goes back to ideology. I think it goes back to this woke mind virus that's infected the left and all these other institutions. We had a Republican Party that was ruled by freaks, neocons, globalists, open border zealots, and fools. But we are never going back to the party of Paul Ryan, Carl Rove, and Jeb Bush. So there it was, a, a tale of two candidates as both Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis were on the road uh, making their pitch. Now, agreed, Ron DeSantis is not making a pitch for president of the United States because he hasn't announced yet. But you'd be a fool to think that any speech that man gives isn't about running for president of the United States or at least feeding into the idea and building up the coffers. Donald Trump at CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference, speaking to his crowd and bringing not only red meat, but actual policy. Is it still just these two guys in the fight? And the answer is, well, yes. Yes, of course. It's just still these two guys in the fight. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. What is going on? Good to be back home again. 833-GOT-TONY. That's the number. 833-468-8669. It is good to be back home. And, and let me tell you, the voice, uh, it was, it, I just got it better and then uh, CPAC came and knocked the living snot out of it. I think it sounds good right now, but I feel myself pushing. So uh, there will be a lot of, of rest and nothing. And 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 maybe uh, the tea I use is called throat coat. I, I don't like tea at, at all. Uh, but I find throat coat to be exceptional, exceptional stuff for me. Anyway, so it'll be a, a couple cups of those and then just, just resting it out. It'll be all right. It'll be all all good and all set. This is, this is the, 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 the battle, and everybody in the party fully knows it, and everybody who has already picked the side is completely and totally dismissive of the other. The argument coming out of CPAC is why in the world would I go to the guy who's trying to emulate the guy when I could just go to the guy who is the reason the other guy is trying to emulate the guy? Got a guy? That's it. That's the entirety of the argument. Trump is the originator. Everybody else is the duplicator. I'm not interested in the seconds. I'll go for the main dude. That's the argument. It's not actually a bad argument, and certainly it's one that the Trump supporter is wholly in favor of. Does the Trump supporter at CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference, this is the home of the activists, do they believe that the election was stolen? Yes, This is not even debate. They absolutely wholeheartedly believe it. I think you would need a little more drill down into the they believe shenanigans happened here, they believe something happened there. Look, even I will tell you that it's very clear that Pennsylvania never should have allowed the the electors uh, to be certified. You had serious issues in Georgia. Don't, don't think that all of this was on the up and up. That's nuts. I never question whether or not Joe Biden's president of the United States. I argue even without the shenanigans, Trump would have lost. And I argue that it is indeed Trump's fault, but you can't argue that that weird things happen. I think think that'd be crazy. The Trump supporter is much more ardent than yours truly. The DeSantis supporter, 
makes the statement that, you know what, we really appreciate Trump, we voted for Trump, we loved Trump, but we're going to move on to a guy who gives me all the fight and none of the baggage and fights smarter. That's their argument. And they are absolutely undeterred in that argument. And they ain't afraid of a Trump supporter worth a damn. Is any of this healthy? Hell, if I know, it's politics, people. What in the world does health have to do with it? Is it early? Oh, you bet it's early. Is it taking the oxygen out of the room for somebody like Nikki Haley, somebody like Mike Pompeo? 100%. But it also gives them an opportunity to try and shine while these two are going after each other, even though the Trump team has been pretty good at going after Nikki Haley. Is this a bad thing? No. No, I must admit it's not. I think it's a standard thing. It can become a bad thing. But right now, it's just both sides talking up their guy and smack talking the other one. And, well, that's what you would expect. Trump got into this race early specifically to do this. And DeSantis is not going to get into this race until he absolutely has to, to avoid as much of this as possible. While he's still going out there making a name for himself. That is one of the big takeaways from CPAC. What's a big takeaway from the NFL Combine? JMV is up next to discuss it. This is Tony Katz Today. The Combine has come to an end. Did it help the Colts figure out who their quarterback should be? Tony Katz, good to be with you. JMV joins us from 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Here's the voice of sports in the great state of Indiana. You watch uh, that combine uh, there, and the only thing that really came to mind for me, the only thing that really stuck out uh, to me was um, Will Levis wants you to know that he works arms. Like, yeah. Like, he wants you to know that if you're looking for the dictionary definition of the definition of the arm, he's got it. And that's the only thing that stood out to me from this combine. What is your take on what you saw? What is your take on where the Colts are leaning? Well, in terms, Tony, of how the Colts are thinking, I had Chris Ballard on with me from the combine on Wednesday, and I already knew this, but they don't put a, a great deal of stock, or let me just say this, they don't put as much stock into the combine performances as they do what they see on tape. And, again, even with my small sample size and how I like C.J. Stroud, and I was even more reinforced over the weekend with his throwing on Saturday, that he should be the target for the Colts. We'll see if they're able, because I'm thinking you're going to have to trade up to get the Ohio State quarterback. But he's still they still go more focused on the tape. But it was hard not to be impressed, and I guess you should be impressed. They they should be good throwing against nobody, you know, dropping it in you know the well, so to speak, from distance, throwing against nobody. Anthony Richardson, we knew going in, Tony, that he was going to be incredibly athletic. And, you know, with some of what he accomplished athleticism-wise, that certainly showed. But I I was most impressed with the combination that C.J. Stroud has. C.J. Stroud has the mobility. He has the arm strength. He has the accuracy. Ball placement specialist, Tony, is what he said on Friday and I want to tell you, after watching this past year with the Colts, moving forward with a young quarterback, he had me at ball placement 
specialist. So really, to me, that outweighs why Will Levis was wanting to show off his cannon because he has a cannon over the weekend. C.J. Stroud, to me, should be the Colts' target. But is that somebody you're now trading up for? It's the Bears that yeah. have the first pick. The Colts have the fourth pick. Uh, they can trade up. You got to believe. I, I forget. I'm I'm losing track of who the first three are. It's the Bears. It's yep. the Texans. And who and else? The Cardinals. And, and the Cardinals. Cardinals. The Cardinals have Kyler Murray. They're not going to go away from him. Yes, the Texans uh, could use a quarterback as well. It's not worth the risk. It's worth the idea of trading up to ensure a C.J. Stroud to put it all to bet it all that way. Well, to me, it is, and here's why: because you're going to end up taking maybe the fourth best quarterback. And you know what? If that's who you like, let's just say, for example, here, hypothetically, Tony, if they like Will Levis, then you like Will Levis. And then more than likely, that's going to be on the board at number four, and you're not going to have to do anything. You just sit right there and let him fall in your lap. But I'm saying if you like Bryce Young, if you like C.J. Stroud, you're going to have to go up and you're going to have to get it. And here's something else that you're going to have to watch out for, too. We could end up seeing a flip-flop. Houston may end up trying to trade up for example, to get back to number one, which they lost here by winning here in that final regular season game this past year. So they can solidify who they want. And then the Bears at two, we'll see what they end up doing. I'm just saying hypothetically, again, this could happen. But here's the outlier. The outlier is who wants to jump up and get what Arizona has right now? What quarterback hungry team wants to do that so you have to be very careful tony if you're the colts right here because you don't want these other teams by virtue of them being aggressive and moving up select for you what is your long-term future choice at quarterback talking to jmv from 93.5 the fan the voice of sports in indiana um one of the guys on this list that i hear people talking about well i should say two of them but i don't hear you talking about is Anthony Richardson out of Florida and Hendon yeah. Hooker out of Tennessee. Uh, these, these guys, I mean, I, I'm not even going to ask about Aiden O'Connell, right, the Purdue product. I, I, I'm not going to say why not take a Hoosier guy for the Colts. Um, these guys aren't on your list. These guys aren't guys yeah. that can build. I mean, both 6'4", uh, you know, and certainly bigger than, let's say, Bryce Young, where Jim Irsay clearly has himself a fanboying going on. It's ridiculous. But these are big guys who can play. Hey, Tony, here's, here's why. Anthony Richardson, for example, to me, if you're the Colts, and I think we're under the impression they're not going to win a lot. They're not going to win a division title this coming year. But you need to show signs of growth. I think you need to draft a quarterback that is more NFL ready, maybe not top shelf NFL ready, but more NFL ready than Anthony Richardson is going to be. It may take Anthony Richardson, Tony, a couple years, three years further down the road to show those signs. And this is the issue you have. So then what are you going to be doing with Jonathan Taylor? I mean, his clock is ticking right now. Quentin Richardson, his clock is ticking right now. You know, Shaquille Leonard with the back situation, his clock is ticking right now. So I just think you need to go with a more quarterback, check that, more NFL-ready quarterback at this present time than going on more of a project. Richardson is that. I think you mentioned Hendon Hooker as well. He's coming off an injury. He's a little bit older. He's 24 years old, and he may end up showing a lot 
But, again, I just think you need to go with more of an NFL-ready quarterback given how your team around this quarterback selection is. NFL-ready, not necessarily age, because if it's age, why not just get Stetson Bennett, who I believe is 156? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. And, and, again, he's coming off an injury. I just Where you are right now, you really don't to settle. And that's what, getting back to my point, if you like – the fourth best quarterback off the list, and he's going to be there, then do it. Or the third best quarterback off the list, and he's going to be there, that's great. But if you like somebody else, you don't want to settle. you got to make sure you're aggressive enough to go up and get who you like because this is a big deal right here. This is your long-term future. This decision is going to dictate what this team is going to look like for the longer term. And let's face it, Chris Ballard's whiffed on a lot of things in the past. He cannot whiff on this, Tony. I, I'm, I have to tell you, I mean, I'm asking the questions because I'm curious for your thoughts. I, I agree with the theory. This is where you have to show the leadership. If you believe Stroud's your guy, the trading up is inconsequential. If you believe Bryce Young is your guy, the trading up is inconsequential. And I don't think Colts fans take a look at Young or Stroud and say to themselves, well, we didn't get the right guy. I think they smile real big. I think it's when you get to a Levis, who clearly can play, where Colts fans will be like, huh. Like, there will be that little bit of uh, of doubt uh, sewn in there. But if they trade up for Young or Stroud, you certainly can't go wrong with the fans. Uh, by the way, the Pacers uh, taking down uh, the Bulls in the final seconds there, 125 to 122. Um, I-, I still like them. I'm still enjoying them. But you're the one who said this is a team that should be playing for playoff, uh, not playoff position, but uh, lottery position. You still believe that? No, 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 Tony. I, I want to see them close games so they have the opportunity. I loved yesterday because of that. I'm talking about fourth quarter opportunities to close games. That's what they did on the road in Chicago. I want to see them win. I'm not necessarily, I'm not anti postseason, but I just want to see this team grow. And I think winning games late and doing things in the fourth like that on the road is more important than the percentage you get and wherever you draft is concerned here. But, man, the punk move by Patrick Beverly yesterday when Halliburton shot that jumper and came down on his foot, Beverly absolutely put his foot in there knowing what was going to happen. That was really a fortunate situation that Halliburton wasn't injured on that play. And then he goes on and sticks one right in Patrick Beverly's face that was pretty sweet, and there's your closer right there, too. That's part of the growth because Tyrese Halliburton is your closer, and he showed that again yesterday. My thanks to JMV, 93.51075, the fan. And I'm in wholehearted agreement. Trade up. Trade up. Uh, not only to, to show the fan base that, that you're serious, and there are reasons to do things for the fan base. It's not the only reason to do things. If you believe in a guy, you believe in a guy. You don't believe in a guy because it could cost you another guy because that means you don't believe in the first guy. We're saving this for the second guy. Who is the second guy? We don't know that guy. Well, what about the first guy? We like that guy. Will you sacrifice the unknown guy for the guy that you want? Oh, we don't know if we like the guy that much. That's a messed up way to go about a draft. That's not That's not the answer. Therefore, once you, once you go through that mathematics, absolutely, you got you to gotta trade up. You have to do it. Do I personally care? That's not the right word. Do I have an opinion on whether Bryce Young is, is better than C.J. Stroud or C.J. Stroud over, over Bryce Young? And the answer is I don't because I'd be, I'd be lying. I'd be lying if I said I've done enough study 
to say, okay, I can see how one of the one of these guys benefits the Colts organization more than the other. There comes a moment where you got to trust the guy who spends every waking hour on this. You, I wouldn't have brought Chris Ballard back, but there he is. So okay, you got to trust the dude that he is the guy who can watch this, and Shane Steichen, the 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 coach, can look at this and say, "That's the guy I can coach." That's the guy I can do X with. Now, is it possible Steichen isn't your 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 coach in three years? Absolutely, it is. Hey, uh, Frank Reich, but it, you still got to you still got to work with the dude. He's the guy you want teaching him. So, how do you go about doing that? And then, I mean, the, the Colts still do have the other questions: the Matt Ryan question, the Sam Ellinger question, are, are there specifically the Matt Ryan? Do you have Matt Ryan? Who's willing? Is he willing to back up and teach this guy how to play? Remember that Matt Ryan had a a horrific season is not a conversation of the idea that Matt Ryan doesn't understand how to play the game. Oh, people make this mistake all the time. It's that Matt Ryan might have hit an age limit. Something else may have come up, an injury that affected all the other things that made Matt Ryan a guy who was half a second behind on every throw. And a half a second in the NFL is the difference between great and being a backup. That's the difference. Or serviceable in being a backup. That A half second. For you, it's four and a half seconds. For, for the pro, it's a half a second. Is it possible that age and an injury could lead to a half second? And therefore, that's... That's really what we're talking about. I mean, it does come down to those kinds of numbers. Is Matt Ryan a guy who's going to stick around? Is he going to go do uh, CBS and and uh, be this great quarterback who who never uh, got the ring and and that's the way it went and and he's going to be fantastic in the booth? Maybe do the work that Tony Romo simply was not willing to do, which is very obvious to a lot of people. Or is he a guy you can convince to stick around? an insurance policy, if you will, and help teach this new guy. Well, then what do you do with the Sam Ellinger uh, type? I'm assuming you figure out what you can get for him on, on, on in, in the marketplace. I assume that's how it works. But you don't not make the trade. You make the trade for the guy you need now. And you say, if X, then Y, and you can only hope for the best. You can only hope it works. Remember, A guy on his first play of preseason play can get an injury and it's done. What happened to uh, Purdy? Brock Purdy, he's in the playoffs. He's won all these games in a row. Second, third play of the game. Elbow injury, needs Tommy John surgery. He's going to be out for a season. That happens. And then you look at guys like... um, uh, Tom Brady, you're like, how did they go through a whole career without any of these issues? That's what makes his career so amazing. None of this stuff. Never, you know, really out for a few games here, a few games there, half a season there. Man, that's just some good fortune and some good skill. And remember, it was a half second between good and great. Tom Brady seemed to have that extra eighth of a second advantage. And that made the difference between great and extraordinary in so many damn instances. Just did. Just did. So, uh, JMB is right. Go get the guy you need. Go get the guy you want. If you got a trade up, do it. You got the picks. You got the, you got the opportunity. Make 
that happen. We'll see if the Colts do that. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today. The CPAC experience did not end on Friday. We were there on Saturday, and we were there on Radio Row, and we were having conversations, talking to people, getting a feel for how people were going to be there at the Conservative Political Action Conference, getting ready for the Trump speech, which I've been talking about and was very, very well received. And no, the room wasn't full, but it was far more full for Trump than it was for anybody else, and it was it was pretty well attended. And Trump... He, he did a thing, I, I, I think, that surprised people. Uh, he didn't give the speech you predicted he would give. He gave a policy-focused speech, which I thought was pretty interesting. Did I say hello, Tony Katz? Tony Katz today? I forget sometimes. What's going on, guys? Good to be with you. It's good to be back home again in Indiana. But one of the people we did catch up with is Representative Dan Bishop of North Carolina, who was one of the key figures in really pushing back against Kevin McCarthy for Speaker of the House. Now, uh, audio wasn't perfect. It was, a, it was a different setup, but I think you're going to be able to hear it just fine. My conversation with Dan Bishop about, well, what exactly that resulted in, and do you feel you got what you wanted with that level of pushback against Kevin McCarthy for Speaker? So here at CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference, with Congressman Dan Bishop, the bloviator of North Carolina, in his own words. <laughs> uh, that's uh, it, representing uh, the North Carolina 8. Now, now we were told, sir, uh, here at CPAC, uh, that you, you're, you're short on time, you're, you're one of the more popular people here, you've got a lot of interviews to get that. to. <laughs> but uh, admittedly, a lot of people know you because you were a very strong voice regarding Kevin McCarthy and the speaker position. I'm not necessarily wanting to dig into your motivations, but rather, do you feel like you got the results you wanted and was the juice worth the squeeze? Answering the latter first, absolutely. It, it was, I, I will say, if, if the juice was worth, worth the squeeze. Did I get what I wanted? I really meant it was a sincere effort. I really think the House might be better served by a conviction leader, a person of convictions to lead. Uh, but so, so nothing's perfect. But I, but I, and Kevin has a lot of leadership talents. He just doesn't happen to be a conviction-oriented person. And so, what it is, what it allowed was we built a deal that supplies the key policy elements that we're committed to as a conference and he is for his continued leadership his continued speakership so and and it and it and in in those terms it succeeded beyond my imagination uh so we were able to fundamentally change the way the institution works in an historic way do things that actually had never been attempted before and fix a lot of things that had kind of fallen into the by the wayside procedurally we were able to, as I said, get commitments on specific fiscal uh, objectives in particular that we're going to the mat for. And, um, and so as a matter of policy, as a matter of substance, we had those agreements. And by the way, uh, we'll have agreements or, or uh, votes coming to the floor on things like term limits and the fair tax and a handful of things that were specifically negotiated. You brought up the idea that he is not a conviction leader. And we know that what was received out of this negotiation, these ongoing votes, 
was the ability to engage a voter no confidence and to really give the power back to the members uh, as opposed to the iron fist of former Speaker Pelosi. If Kevin McCarthy had been, in your view, a conviction leader, if he had come from the Freedom Caucus, would you have wanted these rules? Yes, I would still want them because I think that's the way uh, the Congress should operate. It, it, it should be, I mean, there's no, it, it, it was designed that way and, and it makes, and that's the way, that's consistent with the view of American government. I don't think anybody needs to be the guy or gal who tells others how to do. And one of them, we get down to these omnibus bills that have gotten to be so uh, routine, that's the problem, is five or six people are making all sorts of judgment errors and not nobody to call it out. I think it's helpful to have somebody lead in one direction on the, on the uh, big points. And so that's when I say conviction is beneficial to that. But I still think it needs to be a robust debate and members need to be involved. And, and maybe the, the most significant change to the House is the, the creation of an independent rules committee. The, the rules committee, a lot of Americans say, what is that? That's the committee in Congress through which every bill passes. It's the funnel for, for business to go to the floor of the House for votes. It is often referred to as the Speaker's Committee, because traditionally right. that's the way it's been. But in this case, we, by virtue of the agreement that we would add two or have two House Freedom Caucus members and one other conservative on that committee, and the, those details of how it works, um, that is now an independent committee, and it will impose the discipline. It is in, we're, we're in position to maintain discipline on these rules and other uh, policy commitments that have been made. So it is an historic change to the House, and uh, and it's a, and so I'm very pleased it worked out that way. Talking to Representative Dan Bishop of North Carolina, this is the headline from the McClatchy Washington Bureau, right? I, I can show it to you. I'll bet. <laughs> Wake up. North Carolina Rep Dan Bishop's opposition to hate crimes amendment draws heated debates. Now, in my beloved Indiana, uh -huh. I oppose hate crimes legislation. And I get in response, Tony, you're Jewish. You see the rise of anti-Semitism, which is absolutely real. Why would you oppose it? I oppose it because I believe I'm covered by the Constitution. I am not a special flower. And I don't believe in subsect classes of people. What is the actual amendment that was being discussed, and what was your opposition? Well, although your argument that you just made about hate crimes le uh, legislation is absolutely right, this was something far more innocuous than that. We were passing a very rote first, first step and early in the committee. We're passing an oversight plan in the Judiciary Committee. Democrats are wanting to create mischief, so one of the things they offered was an amendment that had a bunch of florid language about uh, domestic violent extremism, and then they and they singled out. Uh, let's say they, they said um, anti-Semitic, uh, anti um, AAPI, and one other anti one other thing they singled out. And the only thing that I said is, first of all, this is already covered in the in terms of what we're going to exercise oversight about in another part of the plan in more anodyne language. But, but why do you want to single out, and the first thing I said, and I don't know if your listeners will, the, the Democrats derided me for this, I knew they would, I didn't know what AAPI, the acronym was. Which is a... Uh, uh, and I'm uh, glad I didn't know what it is. I believe it's Asian American, Asian American Pacific, Pacific Islander. Islander. And of course, I'm familiar with that now, demographic categorization, so that they, you know, as we divide each other up in every potential basis for classification, that's one of them, I've heard it and everything, 
I'm glad I don't know the acronym. It just means that I don't spend all my time thinking about every one of those details. But if you're, if you're, even if you're inclined to do that, why is it more significant to, uh, uh, to put in the oversight plan that we're going to look into anti-Semitic hate than anti-Christian hate or anti? Uh, African-American hate or anti-Caucasian hate. I mean, why would you do that? That that entire story is built on nothing more than that. Right. And that is a cla- is a good example of what McClatchy's all about. <laughs> so I have two two of their major newspapers in my in my state. I'm not much of a fan of McClatchy myself. That was Congressman Dan Bishop of North Carolina. I appreciate him taking the time. We also had a conversation of North Carolina barbecue, but you'll hear that on my Cigar and Bourbon show, Eat, Drink, Smoke, uh, because we do food as well. And and that was that was pretty worthwhile. We did a, a little bit of a, of a speed round thing. I'll share that with you a, another time. Um, I thought his commentary about the speaker position well, it was very, very forthright, and it was actually watching him. Right? It's the first time I had met Congressman Bishop and, and watching him across the table, I thought it was a remarkably thoughtful conversation and presentation that the maneuvering wasn't done in some type of willy-nilly fashion, certainly was not done in some kind of revenge fashion, but rather a focus to a purpose. My argument then was that there was no proper planning to it and I uh, specifically was discussing Representative Matt Gates. He's going to nominate Jim Jordan. No way he's going to nominate this one. No, he's not going to nominate anybody. No, he's going to nominate Donald Trump. No, he's going to go back to Jim Jordan. Dear Lord, pick somebody and go with it. I had this uh, kind of conversation with Congressman Byron Donalds as well. I, I will share that with you in the days ahead. Um, this was, was this guy, this Representative Bishop, There was clearly thought to what he was doing. Now, was he on the same page as other people who may have disagreed with Kevin McCarthy as speaker and certainly wanted to make sure they were getting things that they needed from other speaker and being able to have the opportunities to speak out, the opportunities to add amendments, the opportunity uh, for real debate on the House, and somehow they didn't feel they were going to get that from him and they needed it. Certain conversations about oversight. We didn't get into everything, but that was there was clearly from Bishop this. No, no, I thought about this, and this is how it had to go. Or at least this is how we had to try. Did it have to go the way it went? Well, I, as, as you heard, I didn't 100% get into that one because, you know, that's a that, that's a different conversation, I think, for, for a different purpose, which leads you to, and, and it's a worthy conversation. It's just not the one I chose to have uh, uh, over there at CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference, which is, Did it have to be this ugly public? Could you not do this in private? Could you not make this last four votes instead of 15 votes? Were you incapable of controlling people like Matt Gates or others? Right? That's a a solid conversation, a good conversation, and an important one. Oh, you better believe it. I, I, man, I would love to dig deep. And see what levels of honesty we could get to, and then of course, where were the where were the biggest you know moments of differentiation? Where were they? How many people were doing this because they were like Representative Bishop, in my view, very very focused on the issue, and very much wanting it to this mattered, versus people who wanted to be seen on TV. 
versus people who wanted to be noticed. That's the question. And I would love, 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 love the answer to that question. I'd be great. I don't know if you'll ever get that level of honesty. I, 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 don't, I, I don't know if you'll ever, ever, ever get that level of honesty. It'd be great. So I'll save that for another day. Hopefully we made a friend in Representative Bishop, or at least not an enemy, and we'll have our conversations from there. Hopefully the future looks bright for having a, a future conversation. Find everything, TonyCats.Locals.com, TonyCats.Locals.com. This is Tony Katz Today. NATO wouldn't even exist if I didn't get them to pay up. But they paid up $449 billion or something, and that's the money they use. They're rich as hell right now. They spent an office building that cost $3 billion. Russia didn't, wouldn't even need an airplane attack. One tank, one shot through that beautiful glass building, and it's gone. Same architect I used in Chicago, great architects. I got along with Vladimir Putin very well. I said, Vladimir, don't do it. You know, you and I are friends. Don't take over any countries. I will have the disastrous war between Russia and Ukraine settled. It will be settled quickly. Quickly. I will get the problem solved and... I will get it solved in rapid order, and it will take me no longer than one day. I know exactly what to say to each of them. I got along with very well with them. I got along very well with Putin. I'm the only candidate who can make this promise. I will prevent, and very easily, World War III, very easily. Now, I wonder when MSNBC plays that, if they think that that's a, a, a slam or a dig on Donald Trump, because for the Trump supporter, they listen to that and they're like, this is exactly what we want. And as you hear that, that was uh, Donald Trump speaking at CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference. He was a policy-heavy guy in that speech. It really did get to people in a positive way, including those people who would very happily see Ron DeSantis, who said, I was not ready for that. I was not expecting that, that he was so policy rich and focused tony katz tony katz today it's good to be with you uh, let me get let me give the, the the final recap of cpac the conservative political action conference and we were there on radio row for three days thursday friday saturday and doing video and engaging conversations and my thanks uh to relay indiana locally uh here in indiana for for sending me that relayindiana.com uh, appreciate that um this is the trump crowd and as far as Trump support, uh, they, they didn't disappoint. But this crowd was nowhere near as big as it normally is. Nowhere near as big. Anybody says otherwise, flat out lie. It's been 15 years. Like we were trying to figure out if I've been going for 13 years or 15 years. Was this my 13th or 15th CPAC? Um, this crowd was outrageously small. And there could be a lot of reasons for that. And... No one is citing Trump fatigue as one of those reasons. I mean, I talk to a lot of people. You guys know I do this for a living. 
the idea of how much it cost, the idea that Fox News was not supportive of CPAC at all and because that CPAC crowd is really unhappy with, with, with Fox News. You've got these allegations against the head of the ACU, the guy who runs CPAC, Matt Schlapp, uh, of, of sexual impropriety. I don't think they're actually accurate, the, those, those allegations. There's more and more information that I got uh, off the record that would lead me to, I don't think so. Uh, however, I would like to see the Schlapps uh, uh, and, and the ACU be more proactive in defending the man. And I don't know why that hasn't happened. Um, also, there's the whole conversation of Turning Point USA and their conventions, which draw massive young crowds, and those people aren't showing up to CPAC because they had to make a decision of where they're going to go, and they, they, they went to TPUSA. Younger crowd, uh, hipper uh, kind of guests and, and, and entertainment, more girls. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. All of a sudden, life isn't real, and those things don't matter. Of course they matter. Don't be ridiculous. So CPAC has got itself an issue, and it's one that they're going to have to uh, address and resolve quickly, very, very, very quickly, for sure. Trump fatigue was not the reason people weren't at CPAC. Anybody who says otherwise is nuts. The Trump supporter has no fatigue. The person who is not the Trump supporter can still be convinced to vote for Trump if he wins the nomination. As a matter of fact, they'll do it, uh, in the most part, joyfully. They'd like to see somebody else. It's one of the reasons they like DeSantis. They think they get all the fight with none of the baggage. And they get a smarter fighter. That's the argument. That with DeSantis, you get a smarter fighter. And DeSantis, was he speaking at, he think he was speaking at the Reagan Library in Simi Valley, which is gorgeous if, if you've never been. 800 people showed up for him. He gets a crowd. I mean, there's only so many people that the, that the library can, can, can hold. He gets a crowd to say that he's not popular to say that people don't want him is misnomer on misnomer on misnomer no part of that is true none the guy is popular and plenty of people want to vote for him but they'd be totally fine with voting for for trump if, if DeSantis wasn't the guy that's a little bit of my take from cpac um that the crowd was not there but this crowd is still all trump all the time they haven't moved they haven't changed on that and i don't expect them to anytime soon Find everything TonyCats.locals.com tomorrow, everyone. Take care.